Hey, this is the Bridging Realities podcast with your hosts, Danielle Polgar and Eugenia Crock. Bridging the esoteric and the practical concepts of astrology into everyday life. We're happy you're hanging out with us and we hope you enjoy. Hello, friends. We're back again here at Bridging Realities. Danny speaking, and I have my pal, soul sister, Eugenia, with me. What up? Danny, what's up? What's what up? up? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Just kind of recovering from this full moon. Mm. Oh, I don't know what to say other than what I'm learning about it transiting through my chart is that I really don't like it when it transits through my 12th house. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to start tracking that a little closely, but really kind of, um, not the best, not the best placement for me, but maybe in a couple of days or tomorrow by tomorrow, I'll start feeling a lot better. Mm -hmm. What about you? How are you doing? Well, it's funny, just speaking of like being more observant of my chart, I've noticed every time, um, Mars is in Scorpio, it's just hell in a handbasket. Like, Mm. like I can it's almost verbatim the events that reappear and reconstellate when that happens. But I haven't, I haven't paid as much attention to the moon. I should, I really, really should. Um, but yeah, no, it's been a, yesterday, um, was the full moon on what are we, what is today? Or is it Thursday? Is it Wednesday? I'm looking it's at Wednesday. My, today's I know, Wednesday. I had, yeah. It's Wednesday. Actually. Okay. So the full moon no. was on is it? I don't think it's it Wednesday. Is. <laughs> it is. The full moon was yesterday in the afternoon. Oh, it is Wednesday. 56 p.m. Mountain time. <laughs> right, okay. So yeah, in the sign of Capricorn, which naturally is not the best. I mean, not this as a judgment. I'm sorry to my fellow Capricorns. My husband <laughs> is. But it's just, it's a little heavy and it's a little yeah. serious. And, uh, you know, the, the reality check was so severe for me yesterday. Mm. I just like, whoa. So, um, yeah, I've been working really, really hard. And, you know, with it moving through my 12th house, it's hard to motivate to really want to do anything. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I've got to. Yeah, no, totally. It's, um, I think both you and I, in the last few days, we've been talking a lot about work and just the implications of work and how much we work and, and, and do we make money and, and, and all those things, money and work and career and all those things have been ever so present. And, and I know that we are both feeling a little stressed out on the full moon last night. And it was really interesting because where I live, I live like on this incredibly vulnerable side of a mountain that is like this really loose sand gravel I don't I'm not a a geologist so I don't know what type of dirt I live on but it's right next to a river and sometimes when we get these heavy storms it just kind of creates like the Grand Canyon in my driveway and it's just amazing these storms come and the whole mountain starts flooding down well yesterday was a proper flood and wow yeah yeah yeah. like in fact I talked to a couple of neighbors who have been living there for you know 30 35 and beyond years and they said they've never seen anything like it it was like a proper actual flood where um we had to get you know town the townspeople to help actually shovel some people out of this um the 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 mud and all of that Uh, because it's been so dry too so there's nothing to grab it um 
in terms of vegetation. And so I just sat there and I watched it and I just watched literally the road to my house completely wash out. It just went away completely. And I, and I, and, um, I thought to myself, gosh, you know, I got really, (laughs) you know, it's just like another, like, ah, you know, like, how am I going to find time now to fix my driveway and the road? Because I live in a place where we don't have county maintenance. We actually maintain our own roads in our little village. And, and it was just very frustrating. And then I thought to myself, but like, I'm totally in this beautiful house watching this with my beautiful dog who's aging, who's still with me. And, and, you know, I have computers that are working that I can be on the computer and work. And, and it just reminded me that, you know, especially with this Capricornian thing. I mean, Capricorn is so, so structured and so formed and it, and it's so capitalistic that it, it negates the energy of money and it negates the energy of abundance and lack. And so it really got me into thinking about how I'm focused on what I don't have in that moment. But if I just make the, the slight effort to focus on what I do have, it's like a total turnaround. And so I like found, um, I found a bunch of checks laying around that I had forgotten to deposit, um, from something I had done. And I was like, Oh, like, wow. I just like appreciated what I had and the world turned right back around. I was like, yes. And to me, that's like the polarity, right? Cancer. It's just like nurturing what we do have, nurturing the home, nurturing our bodies, ourselves. You know, I went and ate the food that I grew in my garden, very cap our cancerian and like the Capricornian new or full moon like illuminates that and really has us look at those issues. And so that's kind of how it went for me. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, uh, look at those issues sometimes, especially if we're not wildly Capricornian type people. Right. Um, cause it's like, eh, I don't like this part cause I don't, you know, <laughs> it's not the part <laughs> I like, you know? So anyway, uh, anyway, so that's how I feel. And so speaking of money and things of this nature, um, we're loving all the support we're getting everybody. Uh, so a big thank you. Um, and, and we, we'd love some more because we, we feel very frustrated when we are working so hard and we're feeling the way we felt yesterday, right, Danny? It's kind of yeah. like we we want people to have this thing, and I think we're clear about that, and we're willing to put aside time and energy to do it, and we just we we need that energy in return. Yeah, yeah it needs to be an exchange, and I really want to feel like um, you all are getting what you need, and we're getting our needs met, and that way we're all fed, you know, on all levels of our being. And, um, you know, Eugenie and I have been trying to brainstorm about different ideas in which we can generate some income to keep us afloat while we, you know, get these shows to you. And, you know, it takes time to record them and to edit them and put them on the internet and connect with people. And, you know, there's a lot of just generic stuff that we have to do to get this whole thing rolling. So we thought, you know, if there's anybody out there that's listening, if you have, uh, some type of product or business that you want to promote on our podcast, um, feel free to reach out to us, uh, at our Gmail account, contact bridging realities at gmail.com and let us know what it is that you want to promote. And we can talk about advertising. 
Um, and that way it could be, you know, kind of like a mutually beneficial relationship for, uh, getting the word out about you and, um, also supporting us at the same time, which really speaks to this age of Aquarius that we are stepping onto or stepping into or embodying and slowly. So we want to be able to support each other and, this is one way in which we can do that. So stay in touch. And we do have our donation page as well on our landing page. So if you feel like you want to pop us a dollar or five bucks, or you want to kind of create your own little subscription on a monthly basis uh, to help support the podcast, that would be awesome. And again, just as a reminder for those of you who don't, who didn't listen to last episode, um, every month in the new moon, we're going to award the uh, highest donor uh, an opportunity to either come on the podcast and have a conversation or ask questions, talk about astrology, or have a private session with Eugenia and myself. So um, that's also an opportunity. And yeah. Thank you. Anything yeah. Else you want to add? Well, I did want to add something actually. <clears throat> so in the middle of this whole Capricorn um, full moon, I, uh, on Facebook, the, the, the Tony Robbins guy, you know, he's like that tall motivational speaker who I literally could not possibly care less about. I just, it's just not somebody who's ever been interesting to me. I just know him cause I'm not living under a rock. And this ad came up and it said free, um, life coaching session for 30 minutes with one of Tony Robbins, uh, teachers. And I was like, cool. So, uh, so I get on the, the phone with this guy and, uh, he's like, so I, you know, I, I just feel like you're not clear about your mission. I just feel like you're, uh, you know, you're not working hard enough. I just, and I was like, are you kidding me? And it was unbelievable. And what it got me to thinking is it's such a masculine way to do work, to like motivate people, right. To like, be like, work hard, like get up at 5 a.m. and pave the, the pound the pavement. And then I ran across this video, this YouTube video also about um, like a billionaire mindset or millionaire mindset. And, um, and it was all these millionaire men. It was just white men who were worth a lot of money. I think there was two women they used as an example, one obviously being Oprah because she's like this freak anomaly. But what it got me to thinking about is I don't know if that's how women – me, I'm not going to speak on behalf of all women, but I don't know if that's how I am going to be successful is by pounding the pavement and like pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing till I don't have anything left. Like, like you were just saying, Danny, I think it's about mutual reciprocity. Mm -hmm. Like come to our circle, like let us all benefit from this podcast and let us all benefit from what each other is doing, especially as women. Like we're not competitors. We're all like and astro other astrologers aren't our competitors. That's not the goal here is to be like the best. The goal here is to share of, is to share and mm -hmm. to be of service to humanity. And we happen to have found our service and it's as astrologers. Um, I'm sure other of you have found your service, like come to the fire, like let's spread our services and not in this, like, like, like this, the shaming attacking, like you're not working hard enough way. Cause that's bullshit. That guy doesn't know anything about what my day looks like. Um, let it be more a soft, receptive, um, 
like you said, age of Aquarius experience. And I think that's what we're inviting to the podcast here is, is we want to do it different. We don't, we are two women. Let's, I just want to be, I just want to mention that we might do it differently and it's going to look differently and taste differently. And, and it's more good. I would hope it's going to be more collaborative and more group oriented as a whole. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Cause that was one of those like things on the full moon. I was like, what? I'm not like yeah. these guys. Like, why am I trying to do what they do? These old rich white men, like that's not how, who I am. So why am I trying to act like them? You know? Right. Yeah. That's a powerful realization. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there's so much to be said about cultivating abundance from a place of opening Mm -hmm. and um, being a vessel and being ready to receive rather than, you know, just directing our force. Um, There's this really good book out there called Power Versus Force. If anybody's ever read it or is curious to read it, it's one of it's a life changer. Hmm. But it kind of speaks to what you're talking about. And, um, and yeah, and that's, that's the goal here. So even though we are asking for support, I just hope that everybody understands that we want this to work in service of you as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, keep that in mind and, um, let us know how we can help you, how, if you have ideas of where you think the podcast could go or, um, what it can do, you know, we're open to all of that. I have an Aquarius rising, Eugenia has an, an Aquarius sun, so we're very Aquarian minded and, um, want to look at new ways of doing things in the world. So after all that, thank you. And we have a very exciting episode up coming up right now with, um, a wonderful teacher of ours. I don't know if you want to speak to that, Eugenia. Dun, dun, dun. It's the episode, <laughs> people. <laughs> the episode. Uh, yes, we have brought uh, Jason Holly onto the podcast for this episode. Um, for those of you who have listened, because I know that because I've been getting your emails and, and, and hearing everything you've said, you've heard us talk about Jason Hawley. Uh, you know, I, I say it a little bit more when I'm introducing him. But honestly, like this podcast would not exist without him. Um, my my love for astrology wouldn't exist um, without him. Uh, he's just so highly intelligent, inspiring eye-opening kind of a dude and um and he's on our podcast to share some gorgeous and insightful and robust information about mercury and the archetype of mercury and gemini and so uh, we will be hoping you'll love it as much as we loved um listening to him and talking to him because it's pretty it's pretty neat so anything you want to say no enjoy (laughs) It just enjoy. Totally. Sit enjoy. back. And you relax. will listen back to this one. This yeah. one will be like archived for you to check back at. And yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, Danny, how's it going? It's going. <laughs> it's going. Yes, yes. Well, wonderful. Well, I'm really excited about today's guest. How about you? Are you excited? Super excited. <laughs> Never would have guessed this This would have happened about seven years ago. Never. So. Yeah. Never. Yeah. And let's, why is that? Why, why seven years ago? Let's tell everybody a little bit more about our guests and how this all happened. Sure. Why don't you start? Oh, sure. Okay. Well, um, I, uh, as a lot of our listeners know that Danny and I met at a counseling program in Santa Fe at Southwestern college. Uh, we were both in our Saturn return. I was heading into mine. You were at the crucible of it. I, as I remember, (laughs) um, and it was you in fact, of course, who kind of, you were the first person who ever mentioned to me, 
hey, you're going into Saturn return. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's crazy. Uh, but you said it's this uh, astrological transit. I said, oh, okay, great. Um, we talked about it some more. But then we got to have the great honor and privilege to uh, be in Jason Holly's class. Uh, the first one was, uh, who was it? Um, or it was human development? Or what was the I first believe, class? Yeah, it was human development. And it was deep, really, really deep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, I remember it was the very first class uh, we had the very first class I ever had at the school and the very first exercise, Jason Holly put on some tribal African music and asked us mm-hmm. to start dancing at like 11 o'clock in the afternoon with the strangers. <laughs> yeah. I saw you in the corner with your glass. I remember you had your glasses on and you were hiding by the door, like ready to bolt. I was on the other side of the room <laughs> And I was like, cool, this is fun. I'm like super into it. And you looked like you were going to die. I did. I think I was having like a full-blown panic attack. And all I remember is I I went home after that class and my friends from England were staying with me. And and they're like, so how was it? And I was like, well, uh, let's just say like I wasn't drunk and it wasn't the middle of the night, but I was dancing with strangers. And of course, I'm like 26 at this point. And I'd only known like dancing if you're like partying at night and like, you know, totally unconscious and here I walk into this class and I'm thrown into the most uncomfortable situation I could ever be put in ever to be around dancers like be around strangers and dance and be vulnerable in the middle of the night with no substances I was like oh my god this is terrifying this is going to be a life-changing experience (laughs) for Mm -hmm. sure so um so that was our first class with him and then um I had the great honor because then you that was the only class you got to have with Jason right yeah I was only at the school for two quarters Mm -hmm. and then I departed yes that's right my journey (laughs) Right. And during Saturday turn. Absolutely. And I had the um, great honor to go on and have multiple classes with Jason. I did consciousness with him. I did um, life and career development, which was really the class where I think Jason started being a little bit more forward about his um, involvement with astrology. I think even at our school that even though it was, it's pretty alternative and, and, and unique. I think there was, uh, I didn't realize just how involved he was in, in, into astrology until I think the second year I, I was taking classes with him and, and yeah, little by little, he would bring it into the class. And of course the first thing he ever brought in was the moon cycle and asked us to do a moon journal to actually track our emotions with the moon. And I was like, it just, it just made so much sense to me. And it was so um, upsetting to me that I hadn't even considered that prior. Like why had I never even looked up? Um, And I think in fact, to this day, what drives me about astrology is, is the sadness that I was so unaware of it before age 26, that I wish more people had access, access to this and accessibility to it, because I think that it would help a lot of people if they knew about it, even at an earlier age. But nevertheless, um, so I went on to take classes with him. And then I got to mentor with Jason on the side um, for a little while. And it was just wonderful. Everything Jason Holly ever taught me is very present in this podcast for any of you who are listening, who are my clients or who I've taught or who I've talked to, uh, we can give Jason Holly the credit <laughs> because, uh, he's a wildly influential teacher from my life. Um, I consider Jason frequently when working with clients because it was his authenticity that allowed me 
the opportunity to be authentic with myself and then to now do that with clients and allow them to be authentic with themselves. It's a rippling effect. Um, the lessons that I learned from Jason Holly. <clears throat> so I'm just, you know, I'm almost teary thinking about it. So I'm just incredibly honored to bring Jason onto this podcast. Um, my mentor, my teacher, um, uh, a colleague now, which is remarkable. And it's so fun that he's on this podcast because without Jason Holly, this wouldn't exist. That's just a plain fact. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Jason Holly. Welcome to Bridging Realities, our podcast. Hi, thank you. And wow, what a what a beautiful thing to hear from you just now. I really, uh, I really take that in. Thank you. That felt that felt great. Good, good. Well, Yes, I mean, if only you knew how much gratitude I have for you and, and how many students that whose lives you've touched who have gratitude for you. You're one of those people who just really affects the world in a really powerful way. I mean, you just are. So um, we're just so thrilled to have you on here. Uh, yeah, and I just want to, you know, speak praises to you too, Jason, because I was only there for two quarters, and I think that class introduced me to some concepts and theories and ideas that I still carry with me mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. my work with clients and in my personal life. I mean, and I think I just recently, cause I just moved, I was going through some old paperwork and I found some papers I had written in your class. And I was like, man, he is an amazing teacher. This is like, so I learned so much about myself, you know, and it was the conceptual information, but it was like applied through understanding my personal life. And it was profound. So thank you so much. And so excited to be sharing space with you right now on the podcast. Mm, yeah, thanks. That's, that's really good to hear. And I, you know, I'll just say back too that it's, you know, it's, it's a learning experience for me too. And I know, you know, Eugenia got to follow some of that at the college. Um, because it's, you know, when we really, when we really go there as teachers or astrologers or therapists um, with our clients, then we ourselves are going to end up uh, transforming, growing, also, you know, really messing up <laughs> and uh, repairing from that. And so I, it's a very mutual experience. So thanks. Thanks for naming that. Yeah. And for example, in one of our classes, you had us do an exercise and it, it made some people, I think like uncomfortable at one point. And I will never forget you came into the that class the next day and you said, I screwed up and I need to repair this. I, I don't think you guys got a lot out of this. I think it actually brought things up that aren't helpful. I'd like to sit down with each of you for 30 minutes to an hour or whatever it was and, and to talk to you and connect with you all individually. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, who comes in and says, like, I totally messed up. Like, I'm your teacher, but I am a human and I don't know everything, and I'm learning just as much as you are. And up to that point, the model of education that I've been part of never encouraged that behavior. Um, it made the teacher separate from the student. And and it was that meeting that you took me into um, with the other students, but I got my own individual reading when you, I said this was a, I said this story earlier in a podcast about how the whole class told me I was a cold bitch and how that was so hurtful. And I went and I talked to you in that 30 minutes and you said, Oh, well you have a South node in Capricorn. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
But of course, you, as you, as you do, you so poetically explained it to me, and that changed the course of my entire future. That changed the entire course of my life because, like you said, well, like you taught, in that moment, I was gotten. Mm-hmm. And our role as astrologers and therapists that you taught us is to just be gotten and let people be got. Mm-hmm. And it just changed my life, just mm-hmm. totally. And now it's just rippling. And all these clients I've had, it's all because you showed me, A, the power of astrology, but B, the power of authenticity. Um, mm-hmm. And that's great. So so what are you up to these days, Jason? What's happening in your world now? Well, uh, my focus is my practice. I, you know, I'm, I'm a therapist full-time, really. So my, my practice um, is really full and and rich uh, with that. And, um, and then I'm also, you know, I do still teach at, at, at the same place at Southwestern, uh, but I just teach one course a year there. I teach the addictions class. And, um, and then I, I do a fair bit of um, astrology teaching. I, I have the things I'm most excited about right now. One of them is um, I have a supervision group with therapists um, that is astrology based so we're speaking astrology the whole way through and it's sort of a, a chance to integrate you know the sort of uh, clinical and the astrological piece um, so that's a lot of fun and we have a very uh, a great group um, so that's one of my you know the things I'm most uh, enjoying right now for sure oh my god can uh, I join that that sounds amazing <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's an it's an ever evolving thing. So so for sure, it, it's really um, it's been wonderful, and uh, it's really exciting. What's really exciting to me is to see people like the two of you have really um, immerse into astrology. You know, it's such a, a it's a, you know it's just it's such a language, and we're just constantly learning all of us new new forms and ways and grammars and you know, uh, in there. And so it's a really, uh, it's a really fun adventure that we've been having in that group. Um, and then the other thing I, I do, I'm working on what I think will be a book, uh, that is about the mythology of each of the 12 constellations on which the signs are based and, uh, and looking at the myths, um, as sort of dreams and working with them, uh, relatively dynamically, and then linking it to cases uh, from my, you know, individuals from my therapy practice who've kind of those where those myths have been really alive. So I'm trying hard to do that. It's not my talent uh, to um, stick to writing. So you know, in about 20 years, <laughs> maybe by my maybe by my second Saturn return. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you on that. So. I love it. So um, we posed a question to you prior to this conversation, and that was, what would you like to talk about, Jason Holly? Because we'll take whatever you got to teach and whatever you've got to um, have us learn from. And uh, you mentioned talking about Mercury uh, in this episode. So I'd love for you to just dive in and tell us what inspires you to want to talk about this. And and, um, yeah, and just start blowing our minds as you always do. <laughs> uh, well, my interest in Mercury, uh, you know, and, and because, you know, my experience is that in the astrology world, Mercury is a fairly, uh, often it's very um, undeveloped as an archetype. It's usually just talked about as communication or the mental function or linear thinking. Um, 
and not a whole lot else. And uh, and it's uh, it's one of these cases where the mythology is just sort of enriches and widens the scope of the archetype so much. And I don't think that we benefit enough from that with um, with Mercury. And the reason I got interested in it, though, was partly because I saw that people in my practice, people were beginning therapy at moments of very strong aspects to Mercury in their charts and or their charts with mine in the synastry had really strong Mercury contacts. And, you know, when I first saw that, I was not, um, I, <laughs> I frankly, I wasn't pleased because I was like, wait a minute, you know, I do stuff that's way more deep. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this is insulting. Where's Pluto? Where's Neptune? Right. <laughs> Um, you know, this is like a cognitive behavioral therapist should have a Mercury stuff. Um, (laughs) so I was, uh, I was sort of taken with that. And, um, but I, you know, I think that as I watched that and then, you know, as I've sort of really, uh, deepened in my own process with mythology and dreams over the last few years, um, Mercury is really, uh, you know, a powerful archetype, and particularly if we reference it to Hermes, the Greek uh, version of Mercury, um, who is an older, you know, who's older and has a lot uh, more of a, a lot of rich stories associated with him. And uh, what came up for me just now when we were sort of getting started is um, Mercury is, is exactly uh, the inspiration that would, like when you referred to the time in the class where I uh, you know, something, I, I didn't facilitate something and then came back and talked about it. I think Mercury really promotes um, this kind of um, openness and a, a sort of an exchange and a, a, an ability to um, get into things together. It's very relational. You know, among the gods, Hermes was, all the other gods always had some agenda, you know, like, I want you to do this, I want you to worship that, I want you to eat this, um, don't marry that one, go slay that one. <laughs> and, and, and you don't ever find that Hermes ever did that, you know, the, the role of Hermes, who was often called the friendliest of the gods, and his role was actually much more just to move between and, and especially to... Um, to kind of keep the action going, you know, his only agenda was movement, you know, like something, whatever happens next, let's have it happen next. Mm-hmm. And um, he was not uh, so full of uh, what you need to do. It was much more about how do you come to terms with all these other much larger, scarier gods. And so he was sort of a go-between. And um, and I think that kind of opens up our notion of Mercury, you know, like beyond just communication and, and that sort of thing. In a way, he's actually the medium, the, the medium with the gods between humans and gods. You know, that's usually who he was delivering messages between. And so when we think about him in the chart or in astrology, I think about Mercury as a as a mediator and as a mediating power in the chart that a way that we sort of step down the gods, it's almost like an electrical transformer, you know, like electricity or raw archetypes are so, like they're, you know, like in electricity, you know, pure electricity apparently is 880 volts, right? Like a lightning bolt is that kind of energy. And if you ran that, you know, on a cord to a lamp, it would blow the lamp up. But if you step it down, as our electricity plants do, to 110 or 220, 
then you get enough of that electricity to actually power the lamp without blowing up the lamp. And I think of Mercury's role as very much like that, of like helping us to step down these raw experiences and raw power of these archetypes into uh, levels that can be mediated, digested, metabolized, made use of, um, so that we're in this dialogue with the gods. And so that's why it makes sense to me that Mercury was the traditional ruler of astrology. Um, Uranus, of course, is, is the modern ruler, but... Um, to me, it, it makes perfect sense because I think that's what we do as astrologers. We, we, we make it possible for people to encounter the gods in a safe way um, rather than just in a really um, overwhelming way. You know, life, life brings it to you however it brings it, but in the context of the chart, we open up a, a mediating field in which we can encounter, um, encounter these energies safely and creatively. Um, so that's a little of what you know where my Mercury wanderings have have wandered. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and I've always noticed um, with my clients who have strong Mercury, they tend to be wildly intuitive. There's this uh, there's this opportunity when I see a strong Mercury in charts that they are truly able to communicate between the worlds. You know, like they can go to some tribal African safari and get on fine and then they can go you know to some Parisian cafe and get on fine and then they can go to suburbia America and there's just this ability to to go between the worlds with with strong notes of this mercury I, I totally agree with you I think it is a very powerful somewhat misunderstood archetype in the chart and of course with mercury retrograde it's gotten so um narrowed it's like pigeonholed that yes all communication will fail now that mercury is retrograde and i think that is lacking the the robustness of the archetype as a whole because he was a god of like tons of things right like athleticism and i mean he was he was you know technically the god of multiple multiple modalities which is so mercurian to to me mercurial to me as well so um i love that what you're saying yeah, and he he did do that thing that you're describing, you know, of bridging the worlds. You know, he was really one of the only beings in Greek mythology who could go into the underworld right. and into the middle world and into the upper world right. uh, and, and guided souls between those realms. Um, so that's, that's pretty deep. Uh, and there's a Pluto connection. You know, he wore... Uh, the Pluto's helmet of invisibility was mostly used by Mercury, and so uh, you know Mercury Pluto have this relationship that uh, you know that again Mercury can help us mediate with that you know can help us move between. Right, absolutely, and and right, and just the 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 caduceus, right, the serpent with the uh -huh. wings, um, uh -huh. the medical symbology, just. The, the kundalini effect of, of Mercury and how he really can encourage that in those charts. And, you know, and I think of that too, because I have a Gemini rising chart um, and Danny has actually a Gemini moon and just looking at the rulership of the chart and how that winds up affecting how I really go through the world and how I, I have traveled all over. I, gosh, now I have a podcast, you know, there's this, there's uh -huh. this call with Mercury Gemini energy to communicate 
the ideas, right, of the gods, like you're saying, like Zeus's counterparts or um, his polarity, his extension in, in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. And you see it, right, in all of that symbology with him. It's amazing. Yeah. And you were talking a little bit, too, about just the playful aspect of Mercury. And I'm curious, um, <laughs> you know, we... T- well, me specifically, I like to talk about really dark things in general because <laughs> I, um, I've got a, you know, I've got Saturn conjunct Saturn and Scorpio conjunct Pluto and all these different deep things, and and there is this element about play that is so necessary in the culture right now. Uh, I think of like Jimmy Fallon, and I think of how popular he is, and all he is is playing games on live TV with celebrities, and how. Whenever I put it on, you know, just like an like a little, uh, you know, I might be, you know, cooking breakfast or something. I'll just put on a little clip and just to like laugh a little, just to just to laugh. Remember that there's play in this world and there's there's moments to have fun. And so I was curious what your thoughts were on that and how that related to Mercury. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, Mercury. So on the one hand, you have Mercury Psychopompos, who is the guide of souls that we were talking about, and who, you know, does appears in so many stories at pivotal moments to kind of help people, especially to deal with the underworld, but also to deal with, you know, the gods' orders. Um, but on the other hand, he's also the trickster. Um, he's also the one who. Um, suddenly shows up and pretends to be someone else. He was he was almost congenitally unable to tell the truth. Um, he's always making stuff up right from the beginning of his life. Like right at the beginning of his life, he he has a whole uh, episode where he um, steals the cattle of Apollo, right. the sun god, who's his brother, and um, and very cleverly does this uh, in a way. That is so retrograde because he, you know, he has the cattle walk into this place where he's hiding them backwards so that it looks like come out on their footprints, right? I mean, that's, wow. you know, isn't that a great retrograde, literally? Totally. And, uh, and he, um, he, and you know, that's just the beginning of his many deceits. And, and ultimately, in that particular story, Apollo's very upset. They both go to Zeus and... Uh, and essentially, Zeus is just really um, charmed by by Hermes, uh, you know, the twinkle in his eye and the fact that on his very first day of life, this is what he came up with. <laughs> uh, so, which I think we would be charmed if, a, if an infant suddenly came up with that. I'd be pretty charmed. Um, and so... He he's playful. He's he's um, he's the one who started making jokes uh, as soon as Aphrodite and Ares were uh, were captured in the net by Hephaestus, who they were having an affair, and he caught them. Mercury's the one who said, "Well, I wouldn't mind sleeping with her either." <laughs> um, it's uh, it, you know trust Mercury to take the to take the wind out of a heavy situation, and you know just kind of uh, show you you know, how silly the whole thing is and to, and to, and to create a play space. And, uh, but play has been something that, uh, really an alive archetype for me personally, uh, the last couple of years and, um, is, and is, uh, you know, you were saying, you know, with everything going on in the world too, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to be playful. And yet we really need that because it's such a, um, there's so much intensity, and uh, we kind of go into these more survival places. And play has this wonderful thing. You know, play to me is symbolic 
activity as a, you know, like when we think about children playing, they're often like taking on different roles. They are investing or experiencing objects as having consciousness and meaning rather than a meaningless world. Um, they're seeing, they're interacting with nature. Um, you know, if you think about play, it's, it's this, uh, it's full fledged engagement in, in, in life and in the flow of meaning, it's not getting, you know, good play usually involves not getting, like giving up reality for a while or giving up, I should say, consensus reality, you know, giving up how we have what we think things mean. And when we go into the sand tray or we go onto the shore of the beach, you know, we all of a sudden anything can mean anything. And we see a whole range of possibilities. Um, or we play a game, you know, and, and what is a game? It's, you know, you, you set up some boundaries and you make up a world inside and you are opponents in the game, but you're not, you know, you're not opponents in regular life. But for that time, you make up this whole other thing. And so it's, uh, it, you know, I think of Mercury as loosening. It loosens our, uh, the way we've got things organized. You know, it, it, he, he would come along at a stuck point in a story and do something which would keep the story moving and kind of like bring it out of its stuckness. And I think Mercury transits to Mercury um, Mercury by progression, even Mercury transits themselves. I, I think there are moments of real loosening. And when I think about, when I looked at why are people coming for me with that particular thing, it's like they're wanting to loosen up how tightly they've got things organized. You know, we, we organize pretty tightly, and the more trauma that happens, the more tightly most people will organize. And Mercury is a great, uh, you know, disorganizer and sort of invites people into the play space, you know into transitional space, um, as we sometimes say in therapeutic world, you know, a, a space where meaning is negotiable and not assumed. I love this so much. My Gemini moon, I'm totally geeking out over here and taking notes. <laughs> and um, just thinking about this concept of like flexibility and adaptability that is so inherent in Mercury and the archetype of like, yeah, we need that because there's this tendency, I think, for so many of us to get kind of trapped in the three-dimensional realm of, oh, I have to do this, and this is a necessity, and I've got to, you know, make it to this thing on time, and, you know, or just being totally suffocated by um, life, you know, and forgetting that there's so much more, and there's so many other realms that we, you know, grow out of, really, and, like, to bring in that childlike quality again, and you know, live in a place of wonder and awe and how that really brings levity to all the depth and the heaviness and the trauma and everything that we're all dealing with, you know, on a on certain level. And it makes me think of my brother-in-law who um, has a chocolate company called Yes Cacao. And he is one of the funniest, most creative, most friendly people you'll ever, ever meet. I mean, he's one of those people that can go and talk to anybody. And he has Gemini like all over his chart. It's definitely the ruler of his chart, you know, multiplied. And he has this phrase that I always think of when I'm in an, a moment of anxiety and it really helps to just kind of like lighten the load. And he just says, turn that worry into wonder so that when, you know, you're in a state of worry, when you're anxious, if you, you know, switch into a place of like, oh, well, I wonder what's going to happen. Then it really changes the vibration of your relationship to whatever that is. So mm -hmm. 
Mm. Yeah, I just think it's such a, you know, and, and I don't really think many astrologers, myself included, really focus too much energy on Mercury unless it is the ruler of the chart. Uh-huh. And it is such a huge role of like how we communicate and engage with each other and um, communicate who we are to the world. So I think it's important to learn about it and focus on it. Mm. Yeah, I love that uh, that part about turning the worry into wonder. I think I think that's exactly it. And when I think about Mercury in the chart, I, I will remember what you said because I think that's a really nice way to um, to look at the natal Mercury. It's like where 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 is that alchemy opportunity? You know, Mercury, of course, also Mercurius was the god of alchemy. You know, uh, of medieval and you know earlier alchemy. Uh, they Mercurius was the patron god, and we see Mercury there in a different expression. But in a way, worry to wonder—that's a kind of alchemy. You know, you're starting in this place that's really hard, and and you know, alchemy literally begins in you know feces and dirt, and uh, and then sort of refines that into something much more precious. And it, it really is about a refinement of perception. Like, can you perceive what else is in this situation than what appears to be in it? Um, and, uh, and, and, and can you just make it up? You know, one of the things about that, too, is, is the link between, you know, uh, intuition. I remember, you know, often when people are encouraged to um, like take roles in a psychodramatic uh, enactment or um, visualization or something, and they're like, well, nothing's coming from me intuitively. And I'm often just like, you know, just lie, you know, just make it up. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't care if you're getting it from your soul's true soul, or if you just <laughs> kind of like saw it on a movie last night. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's whatever it is. And it's a kind of, a, it, and that'll go somewhere, you know, again, I, I think that's also Mercury in me that's saying like, come on, come on, move, move. Mm. <laughs> um, but it's really, um, you know, it's, it, it is that opportunity to um, play our way into it, you know, to play. Uh, you know, Winnicott, who was a theorist, of a psychoanalytic guy, said that from his perspective, all therapy was play with the clients or if the client does not know how to play, uh, helping them learn to play. Hmm. Um, and my experience with myself, for instance, too, is that you know, I have to be willing to play. If I go into the session, whether a therapy session or a reading, uh, if I go in from the point of view of a more sort of Jupiterian, you know, like I'm the oracle, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to reveal the truth here. Um, I don't find that the session has nearly the kind of give and meaning as if I'm entering from a more mercurial uh, place that is about, um, I, I, this phrase I've been using lately is like reading with the client rather than reading to the client. You know, like we talk about getting a reading, and I think of reading the chart with the person um, versus reading it to or for the person. And th- those have a role too. I mean, I think I've had experiences with very oracular, you know, oracle type people, and uh, that's worked just fine. Sometimes I think we need that. But uh, but Mercury offers another way. You know, that's more. Um, of a back and forth, kind of like your podcast, you know, where, as we were talking about before, you're not so much doing like a structured interview. It's more of a conversation. And that's, to me, that's the heart of that Mercury. Yeah. Well, it's perfect because Danny's Gemini moon falls on my Gemini ascendant. So it's, (laughs) wow. mm -hmm, Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's really lovely. So gosh, I have so many questions. Um, so th- this is one of my questions. 
so I've oftentimes gone um, and wanted to play games with people like board games or something to that effect, or even like silly outdoor games, you know, like a kickball and things of that nature. And I always seem to find one or a couple of people who walk into that scenario, like traumatized by gaming, by mm. board games, or, um, or just by playful games. What do you think that would be in the chart? It, do you kind of know the person I'm talking about who's really adverse to games and that kind of competition? Um, I don't know if you guys have ever met that person, but I've met them all the time. And mm. they're just like terrified of competing in that way, in that playful way. And I'm curious, um, <laughs> that's a crazy question, but what you think about that? Well, I, I think about that, um, you know, I, I would, well, one thing I think is, is sort of distinguishing, you know, play and competitive games, because those are different things. So I, I would tend to think that probably means that the Mercury is not in Aries. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, um, or with Mars or something like that, but but I um, but I also think it's like um, it, I would be looking about asking a question that looks like you know where are we role locked in life you know like like there are certain roles and I think we all have these there are roles we aren't ready to step into or or don't yet know how to go into and mm-hmm. like when you were spe- speaking about the class that we had the first one mm-hmm. and um you were really you know by by dancing in that situation you were really stepping out of you were stepping into a different role into a different uh thing and and and, the, and we have to do that when we're ready you know uh, of course that was kind of sprung on the class but but I also remember that we very much processed the the reality that some people were more warmed up for that than others. Right. And um, and that's how I would look at it. It's like uh, sort of wondering about what roles are we re- are we already into? Which ones are we stepping into? Which ones are we leaving? Um, and Mercury seems to show up in those moments when we are um, maybe practicing new roles or learning to speak a new, new, in new ways. Um, finding one's voice is a Mercury, uh, thing, you know, like if you see a, a strong transit to Mercury, um, from an outer planet or something, you know, it's often like finding a way to say something that you never said before. Um, so I've wandered a bit from what you said, but I, I was thinking about that, that way, like that sure. if someone's having trouble, playing that way we often have to find out how to well of course you're just talking about in general but if i are working with someone i kind of have to find out what what, how do they play you know because everybody's got a different play style Mm. Uh, you know i i have a really i have a uranus conjunct my mercury so you know i want to be able to do everything (laughs) and And, say uh, everything that's that explains so much oh my gosh (laughs) Yeah. It's very, um, you know, wanting to kind of um, break out of the the rules, you know, totally. and, and cheat. I like to cheat in games. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, it, it's, uh, you know, it's that kind of thing. And, and then other people are not going to, you know, they're going to play in a very different way. How funny. I have Mercury um, in Aquarius. And so mm. it's kind of, we have that similar piece, oh, like uh-huh. of wanting to to communicate large ideas and just being so inspired to, yeah, break, break people's, um, concepts with our words, right? Like using Mm -hmm. that, that as a a real tool. Um, right. So I was going to ask you about that. So you have, yeah, so you have Mercury conjunct your Uranus 
what spurred this on? Are you having a large transit to your Mercury? Are you, um, what do you think brought this on in, in your reality that has brought all these clients into, into your practice and opened your eyes to this, this deepening of this archetype? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, I think it's been, uh, starting through Neptune, you know, Neptune and Jupiter being the rulers of the, you know, sort of the polarity, so to speak to Mercury, uh, in terms of, if you think about Mercury ruling Gemini and Virgo, and then Jupiter ruling Sag and Jupiter slash Neptune ruling Pisces. And so, um, I had a lot of Neptune transits about, um, two years ago i had i had the one of the midlife ones this neptune square neptune happened Mm -hmm. and then also at the more or less the the same time uh also had uh sorry uh neptune on my ascendant and uh and also on my um sorry not on my ascendant trining my ascendant and my south node and saturn um and so during that neptune period i i um a few years ago, that was a few years ago, and I started going away for a retreat for about um, five or six weeks uh, to a little cabin up in Colorado, actually, in Pagosa Springs, um, and uh, did a lot of dream work there. I mean, I w- it was an entirely solo retreat. I mean, it wasn't any kind of official structured thing, or I didn't sit and meditate every day. Or there, was, there was no, I essentially just went and was out in the woods hiking and dreaming and reading and um and i i've done that for the last few years in the fall and um mercury uh sort of came in as a guide to some of that you know uh you know it's it's really um you can think of i think of the mutable cross as you know how we work with these um things like dreams and uh altered states and uh, the between things, you know, because the, the, these are the signs that are between, right? They, they lead us to the angles in the chart and they sort of start dissolving things as we know them. And, uh, and so Mercury was just really one of the guides in that for me. Um, and I think that that started to open, open up, uh, a whole different way of relating to, to Mercury. Um, so Neptune is the answer of how I got there. <laughs> I mean, it makes Neptune. sense, though. It just makes sense if, you know, because Neptune is so dreamy and it's so otherworldly. And I don't know, Mercury's got one foot in this world and one foot in that world. And is more, I find, more, like, focused on the details. Whereas, yeah, he's a guide, yeah. that one, mm-hmm. right, to help you make sense of things. And uh, I think about, uh, you know, with Neptune, I have been... Uh, you know, I, I did a workshop a few months ago, and I'm probably going to keep developing it on uh, Neptune uh, using the Odyssey, uh, Homer's Odyssey, and um, you know, because Neptune is the person who keeps Odysseus at sea, mm-hmm. uh, person, the god who basically can, makes the whole Odyssey have to happen, mm-hmm. and so um, it's a great. I mean, it's an amazing uh, way to get Neptune uh, more. But I think of Odysseus as this very mercurial creature uh, who was very clever and witty and so on. And and so it's interesting to see him in counterpoint to Neptune. You know, it's it's like um, how do we sort of tack back and forth between this sort of being pulled into the other world and also making sense in this world. Mercury makes sense of things, you know, like makes things sensible, um, you know, able to be understood. Um, and it's, it's such a creative point in the chart, I think, in terms of 
if you think of creativity as kind of opening to things that are not right in front of you. But it's funny because I was literally just thinking that, um, like, how, like, how does this play into art making? Because as studying art therapy, I think of, like, play trauma. Because I really have encountered people, like, I can't play that board game. I'm freaked out. I can't do it. And I'm always wondering what happened to make someone so terrified of a board game. But the same happens with art making. And just the, like, you know, as an art therapist, when you ask someone to make art, there's there can be total trauma stored there. And they're like, I can't, I can't express myself in that way or you'll judge it or whatever. And, and I work with kiddos and you can see it happening in middle school is like when it starts coming down on them and they're like somewhere, somebody told them that that form of expression was negative. And so they've, they've shut it down. And I'm, I was curious, how does Mercury Gemini play into art and the artists? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if we think about it of, of art, I mean, one way that comes to my mind is that if we think about art as symbolic activity, you know, one another way to think of Mercury is that it's the symbolizing function. You know, it's the capacity to um, to make meaning, uh, to put things together. Now, you know, I think it works with Jupiter and Neptune in that too. You know, the whole mutable cross in a way. I think that is, you know that that's where I see that. But but Mercury. Um, is about um, being able, you know, when I think about the, so one of the great values of art, I'm not an art therapist, but I do have clients make a lot of art, or not a lot, but some art. And, um, and I think one of the great values of it is that it allows you to, um, it's, it's exactly that mediating function where a, a, a big situation or a big set of feelings or whatever is something you can somehow uh, put it into into the symbolic world, translate it into terms where you can engage it in a way that's meaningful. You know, whether it means I'm I'm doing a genogram of my family, uh, or whether I'm drawing my rage and my anger. I can even put a frame around it. You know, to sort of feel a little more contained. And um, once we can, you know, the symbolizing function is is I think so underestimated in our very rationalistic world. The capacity to actually um, to to see meaning and to narrate one's own story and uh, and I think art and and dreams and all of these sort of symbol symbolic activities Mercury is really a part of that because it's it, he he guides us in and out of those realms otherwise those realms are also too much you know it's it's uh, so I, I think of that as what you know the Jungians talk about you know the transcendent function or uh, this this symbolizing ability the ability to sort of bring experiences that are uh, subjective and internal into the outer world and have a dialogue. Um, I, I really see it as very central to art. Um, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I could just listen to you talk. I'm like, yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> Love it. I have so many squares to Mercury in my chart. It's really obnoxious. So I'm, I prefer to listen than to speak. It's kind of funny that I even have a podcast, but thankfully I have it with another person, which makes it a lot easier. With tons of Gemini. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. Well, and Danny, I know you're incredibly artistic and I'm looking at our charts while he's talking, both you and I, and, and you have it conjunct your son. So, so that's actually quite powerful, isn't it? That's amazing. Um, yeah. 
the artistic, the symbology, being able to, to bring form to the symbols. Like, I remember, Jason, when I first started learning with you, for, for whatever reason, I just understood the symbols immediately. Like, it was so easy to read a chart for me right out the gate. Like, it, it, you know, it takes time or whatever. But I think, like, when I'm teaching astrology, the very first thing I teach people is the symbols. And why do the glyphs have the symbols they have? And what does each curvature mean? And um, each cross mean? And, and a deeper meaning? Because that symbol, while it's just a few lines put together is incredibly powerful for all of the glyphs of the zodiac and once you just completely understand the essence of each glyph and then you put it together in this poetic um harmony harmonizing um dance in the cosmos it just it it literally it becomes an image it becomes something like you know, I don't know about you guys, but when I look at a chart, I just see so much. I like, I see the, the, the childhood home and I see the, the parents and I see the, um, this, even the smells and the tactile feel of this person's fruition, like when they came into this world, because it's all symbolized through these images, Mm -hmm. um, that is, is mercurial. It's, it's, it's mercury completely. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I, I just never put him together with art before an image. It's so interesting. You know, there's an actual, it's a, I guess you could call it a gift called synesthesia, which, yes. you know, mm-hmm. I, ha- I think a lot of artists and creative people and even just people have that of being able to smell sounds and, mm-hmm. you know, taste numbers and those kinds of things. So I think it makes sense. And I think that that's helpful in being an astrologer because there's so much information that you're gathering instead of just symbols on the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very sensual. It's mm-hmm. a sensual experience. Yeah. Oh, totally. And it's funny. I actually did a, a very extensive report on synesthesia in my undergraduate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Cause I've had some senses crossed every once in a while, every blue mm-hmm. moon, but, um, Interesting. Fascinating. Huh. Well, any other thoughts, Jason, as we're kind of wrapping up this episode on Mercury or anything else in particular? Uh, No, but I was enjoying what you were just saying about uh, the Mercury and and sort of having a sensuous dimension to Mercury, you know, because we... Mm -hmm. You know, we do know that in the in the in the zodiac, it's not just Gemini's ruler; it's also Virgo and and mm-hmm. that earthy, you know, sensate function. You know, it's a you think about different ways that people perceive, um, and you know how people grok information or sort of make up their world. And I think Mercury does have that element that is um, is maybe uh, overlooked and not uh, engaged with as much. But it's it can be. It's it's so alive in that way mm-hmm. and uh and that that experience of um synesthesia it reminds me you know of of uh i can't remember who is that oh arthur rembout who wrote about uh derangement of all the senses <laughs> you know, that, that that's what poetry is um and you know there is something about transits to mercury which interrupts the way we perceive you know it's like it, it changes <laughs> There's an interruption into the how you're putting, seeing the world and putting it together, um, that is creative, potentially really creative, um, and uh, I don't know. There's just a fun element of Mercury that I I really 
um, desire people. And I did want to say a quote that I love very much um, when I was thinking about this, and it's from uh, it's from Tagore, uh, and it's uh, it's in a poem of his, and it, the one of the the uh, first line of it is, um, let me just remember this right. Yeah, on the seashore of endless worlds, children play. And I love that. I, 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 I feel like that is, that is what play is, right? It's like your, your endless worlds are possible. Um, and so whenever we see Mercury, and I'm, I'm you know, just sort of looking at a Mercury glyph in a chart right now, it's like wherever that is, it, you can kind of think of that as the seashore of endless worlds, you know, a place where things can open up and go all kinds of directions uh, with oneself. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> it's so visual. I mean, it's like as soon as you said that quote, I just, my mind exploded in imagery. And it's mm -hmm. such a short phrase, mm -hmm. but it's just so there. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Well, and Jason wrote a really beautiful article on imagery in the Mountain Astrologer about a year ago, right? Oh, yes, uh, talking about the Saturn-Neptune square that we're in now. Yeah. Totally, yeah. And I've, I've actually referenced that article a number of times with clients even, and I know this is like kind of going away from Mercury, but um, I'm thinking he, of like... He doesn't mind. Huh? <laughs> he, he doesn't mind. Totally. <laughs> and I'm Gemini rising with Mercury and Aquarius. Like, what I love bouncing around conversations. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I think it's just so... You know, when we think about Neptune and how Neptune's kind of come into this, and, and right, I think the Odyssey and the Iliad is something, like, all astrologers should read, or at least, like, watch, you know, YouTube, you know, because it is so foundational to the mythology of the Greeks, right? It's it's hugely important reading those those stories, and, and I love that Odysseus-Mercurian kind of, he totally is that. He's, like, he's so mm -hmm. boyish and... Um, He's he's a little silly, right? In the in the story in the novel, but and how and he's a compulsive liar. Totally, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And and how um, Neptune or Poseidon, there is something just like, you know, there, I, I when I actually mentored with you, um, I I remember having a conversation with you about like I can't grab Neptune. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this conversation, but I was like I just can't grab it. I don't understand it. I can't imagine it and you really like you really put me in the ocean you you mm. put me in that like situation and so when I'm describing it to clients like I, I say that like just like lay in the ocean for just a minute in your in your mind and look up into the infinite sky and and think about the infinite below you and how you really don't know what lies below or above you and you're just you know, without landing, you're just there. Like this is, this is the power of Neptune and it's both terrifying and spiritual. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, when I talk about Pisces at the end of life, cause I always use the human development life cycle to describe it. Uh, that's what it is. There's something quite scary about being at the end of one's life. Um, but there's something very spiritual about it, uh, at the same turn. And, and so when we have those Neptunian transits and it's funny cause <clears throat> I don't know where I'm going with all of this, but, um, when you were talking about M Mercury and Neptune, if you think about it again, in the human development phases, it's a toddler hanging out with a dying person and just mm -hmm. like the juxtaposition, but also the, um, 
the comfortability, right? Like when you're when you watch a toddler or a child around a dying person, they're completely unaware of what's happening, and they're approaching this person from such a different perspective than the rest of the people in the human development cycle. Like an adult is looking at a dying person very differently, and there's a, just an interesting relationship that happens between those two worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but anyway, back to the imagery. I just wanted to mention what's so interesting about Jason's article and why I encourage people to kind of go look it up if you can is bringing in this like Neptune Piscean deal and how the camera was developed the last time Neptune was in Pisces. And then, of course, Neptune moves into Pisces in 2011. And what is the big thing we see is Instagram and imagery imagery. Um, yes. Right. It's, it's the evolution of the camera right now. And like how we have these just like off the chart cameras in our pockets um, at this hey. point and how you, you talked a lot about that um, in the article too. I thought that was fascinating um, to think it's about. Just, it's just amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's really, really uh, because, you know, that's right. I mean, when Neptune was last there, that's when all of a sudden everybody's looking at imagery and mm-hmm. newspapers and, you know, like imagery was just everywhere. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, the, the the camera and the daguerreotype that were invented were in Neptune, right at the end of Neptune and Aquarius. And how perfect hmm. is that, right? Like right. inventing. And, and then same with a lot of these imagistic uh, tech uh, in the last few years uh, comes in Neptune and Aquarius, you know, with right. Instagram. So, and then in Neptune and Pisces, the the sea starts to surge with imagery. You know, we're just we're bombarded. The internet is is an imagistic place as much as it is a textual place at this point, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, it's really something. But I wanted to come back to something you just said because it was really evocative about that piece about um, Neptune and the toddler or the, the toddler and the and the dying person. Yeah. Because um, it reminded me of, of one of the stories of, of Hermes, uh, where uh, it's after the uh, battle between uh, Achilles and Hector, and Achilles has killed Hector, uh, but he won't give the corpse back to the Trojans uh, so that they can do the rites uh, that are supposed to happen. And so Priam, who is Hector's father, wants to come and, and negotiate with Achilles to try to get his son's body. Uh, and to perform these rites, and it's an—it's an—I mean, it's almost impossible to describe the sacrilege of not letting that happen uh, in that world at that time. That would be—I mean—an unspeakable act. I mean, mm-hmm. completely, completely a violation of everything, which Achilles often did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so Priam has to figure out how to sneak into the camp, and actually, he's not even trying to figure it out. But Mercury, or Hermes, appears uh, to him. Uh, but in different stories, uh, in different versions of this, he sometimes appears as this little child, this like sort of silly little young uh, child, and um, gets in the way and is making a mess, and Priam's getting annoyed. But then you realize that every mess this child's made and every little thing he's done has actually very successfully led Priam, sort of woven him through the 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 uh, guards and the tents and so on and has landed him right where he needs to be. Hmm. Um, and he is so, so Hermes has through playfulness and silliness and so on, Hermes has actually led Priam right to the gates of mourning and grief hmm. and, and to rec- and to retrieve the dead body that is in there and to be able to take it back and to do his grief work and to encounter, you know, to enter the world of shades. And so, 
it's really um, it's it's kind of remarkable what you were saying because that's that's a theme that is uh, developed. I wish I could remember. There's a great like uh, you know reimagining of that myth. It's part of what I'm quoting right now. It's it's recent in the last few years. I I'm not remembering it, but okay. it's. Um, it's very much that, isn't it? I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and that's what Mercury was. You know, he was the guide of souls. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, the guide of souls doesn't have to be this serious person who's sitting, you know, forming lots of tapas next to someone. I mean, it, it really can be uh, a very different way. You know, Mercury's way is very um, playful and it's indirect, just like Odysseus, you know, mm-hmm. totally indirect, never told the truth constantly pretended to be other people you know even when he shows up to his father for no apparent reason after all this time away father's going to die any minute now and he shows up and doesn't show who he is and there's absolutely no reason not to (laughs) no way that's often like people are when they interpret that are like why is this here why why did he need to do that with his father like there's no need but it's sort of like that compulsive quality, which which you can see with you know Gemini and Mercury mm-hmm. charts, particularly if there's some good Scorpio in conjunct running around there, <laughs> um, <laughs> they just can't help themselves. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, and just kind of one last thought, you know, right when I think of Hermes delivering people into the underworld. Yeah, you think of Hades and Pluto and and there's like a grim reaper feeling to it and even though he's not like he's not you know depicted that way necessarily in the mythology but when we think of current mythology of Hades and Pluto and there's just like a darkness about him and then and then Hermes is like we're just going to the underworld and I'm dropping you off and I'm just going back out and I'm going to go do something else like it's not a big deal you're you're going to be transformed what's the big deal here like I got to keep doing things you know right <laughs> and, uh, I've got work to do yeah. yeah totally and then Hades does his thing and there is just an interesting yeah he's he's a cool dude so I'm thrilled you you introduced him in, in this way in this in this episode Jason it's wonderful yeah yeah it's it's fun it's good to talk about good to feel him he really is you know the patron one of the patrons of our art for sure i mean mm-hmm. yeah. i certainly think of him as uh, uh you know the whole thing i mean i i think of the chart as kind of a playground you know like a sand tray you know like a, mm-hmm. a bounded a bounded space where we and the client make up a lot of things together you know and and <laughs> making things up is always perceiving things. You know what I mean? Like imagination is perception and it's not, you're making it up, but you're not making it up. You know, you're seeing. And, uh, Hmm. I, I, I really like to think about the chart as, as that kind of a space where we are kind of getting in there together and, uh, and, and, and playing like a, like a, you know, a stuffed animal or, you know, child's toy. It's like you, you know, I would love what Winnicott says about the, the, those so-called transitional objects where he talks about you would never say to a child who's who is interacting with their stuffed animal uh you would never say you know are you making that up or did you discover it you know mm-hmm. you wouldn't say oh it, you wouldn't say it's it's both you know like the child is both you know making it up but also there's a they're discovering it and it's it's both and i think with the chart too we're we're discovering we're we're but we're also making it up you know and it's it's both and um so that's what i invite people um to do with readings with people is is really you know get in there and uh well rather like you started you know get in there and do some african dancing and that's <laughs> <God. laughs> it was actually afro-brazilian music 
I, I, know, I know. I remember. I just remembered what I played. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, little did I know that that was the beginning of the rest of my life. I had no idea. <laughs> I, I didn't know what was about to happen, but it was it was well worth the uncomfortable introduction. You know. Right. <laughs> um, any last thoughts from you, Danny? As we're kind of wrapping up. Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much. It's just so nice to have a fresh perspective on something that, uh, you know, I think the world looks at in a different light. And and I just really appreciate bringing the joy and the laughter and the play to what it is that we're doing as astrologers, as counselors, as helpers, and then just as, you know, human beings in being in the world and using play as kind of a doorway to just step into something new and have a new experience. And this has certainly been that for me. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I, yeah. It's good to play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We should all remember. Well, Jason Holly, my goodness. Thank you <laughs> forever and on word and upward. Thank you for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for showing the listeners or hearing the learn i don't know how i would say that uh, who you are and and why you're so um important and influential because you have a way with words which now i i get <laughs> you know um I, I didn't know that when i first knew you i don't know your chart very well actually um i know you're a libra that's all i know about your chart um but <laughs> but it's you know it'd be interesting to see it now but um you you really I used to always say to like when we would walk out of classrooms, I'd I would say something like I feel like I just got like, um, like I don't know what kind of weaponry that is, but to the head like of information, I don't know like some gun or something, you know, just like my mind would literally be blown at the end of every class, like what do I do with all of that, you know? Um, so it's really neat that you that you came on here and I hope have done that for some other people because Mercury does need, a he needs a better, um, a, a more well-rounded understanding. So I'm really thrilled that you brought that into to the episode. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. It's fun. Yeah, and I hope that this will be the first of many. I'm hoping that you'll be uh, hoping to join us again at some point in the future. That would be awesome too. And we can keep bringing your education and knowledge of this to lots of people because that's the goal is to put this in as many hands as possible because uh, yeah. it'll help people it just helps people so much so absolutely yeah I mean, i'm i'm very open to that and it, and i'm also i just want to name something else that i am I feel enlivened by is i think one of the things that happens happens for me at norwak every year the northwest astrology conference in seattle where i uh, usually do a talk or two the last couple of years anyway um i um i love the multi-generational quality of the conferences there you know <laughs> Here in Santa Fe, uh, for whatever reason, the astrology crowd uh, trends on uh, to an older demographic, which is really wonderful and powerful in its own right. Um, but I am very—I uh, feel a really deep desire to see uh, a multi-generational astrological world, and I have some sense that 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 is a 
big part of what you're doing with this. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's bringing, I mean, I, 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 I saw on your website, Eugenia, and I loved it. It said uh, there was a testimonial that said she's the astrologer to, of the millennials. It's something like that. I thought that's fantastic. <laughs> like, that sounds fun. Um, but uh, but it is fantastic. So I'm I'm really glad that you are that, that you two are doing this because uh, I think um, we need astrology to really feel meaningful to people and 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 we need it translated across. You know, this is also Mercury. I mean, Mercury mm-hmm. is is multi generational and frankly speaking, Mercury's young. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that is it. It was so enlivening at Norwalk to um, to be hearing from people from all generations. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. I just read a quote yesterday on Instagram, speaking of, that said, I'm not trying to get, I'm not, I don't want more followers. I want more leaders, like, mm-hmm. or something to the effect. Like, I want to get, not, I don't want to make, I don't want to get more followers. I want to create more leaders. And I think mm-hmm. for me, like, Danny and I have talked about the intention behind this and we're always coming up with new ideas with it because I mean, it's really like a lot of people are listening. We're totally shocked by how many actually. And, um, and I think for me, it's like, well, yeah, we want to teach this to people, but more than anything, like I want people to talk about this. Like I want people, I want this part of the culture again. I, like I said, the fact that I found out about my natal chart at 26 is it's it's blasphemy to me and i'm and again i've said this before astrology is not the only way but it's certainly part of the way to have an integrated understanding of our life of our experience and i want more people to have that experience and so like that's totally an intention i have with this podcast is give people the information so that they can continue to lead and that, you know, that we keep stepping on each other's shoulders, so to speak, and keep raising the ante of, of how can we get more of this out there? How can we get more information out there and, and give people opportunities to change lives with it? So, um, yes, great. Wonderful. I like the multi-generational thing. It's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I taught middle schoolers astrology, right? <laughs> That's very wonderful. I it love was. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they totally got it. They totally just understood it. So I think exactly. I, I love bringing it in. And I still teach middle schoolers because I teach, I, I work with middle schoolers and high schoolers and I'm always bringing it in. They don't totally conceptualize it, but they're really interested in it and excited about it. So mm-hmm. I love that. So, mm-hmm. well, Jason Holly, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Thanks, Danny. Thank you, listeners. And we'll be seeing you or hearing you soon on uh, our next podcast. So we hope you all have a great week. And, um, and we'll be talking to you soon. Bye, everybody. <laughs>